0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, what's up? This is John Norris, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network.
1: Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to heritageradionetwork.com.
2: Hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio. We are a radio show about young farmers, for young farmers, about, with, between, among. Today is a beautiful, very hot day in April, and I'm coming to you live from our headquarters, talking on the phone with Michael from the Brooklyn Grange, which, as you can imagine, is in Brooklyn. Hi, Michael.
1: Hey, Severin. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. How are you doing? must be hot up on that roof.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit windy today, but it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful day. A little less hot than yesterday, but we could do with some rain.
2: <laughs> so here up in the Hudson Valley, it's very du- dry and dusty, and we have like the earth to um, to hold water. You you don't even have the earth; you just have this growing medium.
1: Yeah, Explain and how that works. Uh, yeah, we've got growing medium and six stories of office space below us. Um, we're a, a soil-based, soil-media-based rooftop farm, uh, in, in Long Island City, actually, that is where our flagship farm is located. Uh, long story. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, basically it's, it's, it's not too different from the traditional kind of green roof, uh, you know, architecture that's been around for a long time, um, using a couple different layers of, of green roof, uh root blocker, drainage board uh, to hold moisture, um, and some felt material. Uh, and then we put a, uh, about a million and a half pounds of uh, lightweight soil media on top of that. Raised it into beds and threw vegetables in it.
2: <laughs> and what kind of production do you have off of that space?
1: Um, we sold about 15,000 pounds of, uh, of fresh Seasonal veggies last season. Um, we also were are a bit diversified. Um, I guess I guess it's a different kind of diversified than you guys would have in a traditional rural farm. Um, we have a lot of events being kind of so conspicuous in the city. Uh, so we rent the farm out, the farm space out for private dinners and, and events, and even weddings. We've got a wedding coming up this this year, which will be pretty exciting. Uh, we have a couple laying hens, um, mostly for good karma on the farm. The kids who come up and visit really love them. And we actually uh, we've we've had a couple beehives over the last few seasons, and uh, and this season we actually just secured our funding through a Kickstarter campaign to start up a, uh, the, the city's, I don't know if I should say first, but uh, in recent memory anyway, first commercial-scale apiary uh, in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Um, and we'll have about 25 to 35 beehives uh, on rooftops there, um, producing thousands of pounds of honey for the city. So we've got a lot of different lines of business going.
2: Solly, <laughs> what fun, and, and a real startup culture. If I don't say so myself.
1: Yeah, tell me the about city the kinds of people, I mean uh,
2: you're meeting as a result of this this Grange project.
1: I'm sorry, what did you say?
2: It said, tell me about the kinds of people that you meet as a result of working in this in this community of the Brooklyn Grange. I would imagine uh, there's quite a lot of ambition that heads in your direction.
1: Yeah, it really I mean we get People from every walk of life uh, coming up to the farm, supporting the farm, uh, being in New York City, you know in the outer boroughs it, it, it's really it's really great for us and other local urban farms because um, there's such a great food scene, especially in Brooklyn and in the part of Queens that we're in uh, here. Um, there's a lot of really great small you know uh, startups, uh, restaurants, food businesses, food trucks, food vendors at markets around town. Um, so we get to work with a lot of them, supply them with fresh produce that they can turn into awesome, you know, little little dumplings and things. Um, but, uh, you know, just in terms of the general support here, everyone is really, really gung-ho about um, trying to green the city um, by using, you know, kind of these sort of rooftop and, and other urban agriculture techniques. And also, you know, to have uh, a hyper-local source of food. Um, you know, I don't think anyone really... I don't think anyone really thinks that, uh, at least now anyway, that, that urban agriculture or, you know, at least rooftop agriculture will be able to to provide for all of the food needs of the inhabitants of a metropolis like New York City, but um, it's definitely a step in the right direction, I think, and, and people are really uh, supportive of that and, and, and really jiving on what we're doing up here.
2: They're jiving. They're jiving, jiving. live on the roof. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's you know, it's funny, um, you know, you talking about being out uh, in upstate New York. We are, you know, we, being a soil-based farm compared to some of our other, um, you know, uh, colleagues in this space um, here in urban agriculture in the city, we, you know, we made a definite decision to pursue soil-based agriculture. It's definitely not, you know, natural soil. It's a fairly artificial environment. Um, but we, we run into many of the same challenges as do, you know, uh, more traditional, small-scale, sustainable farms uh, in a rural environment. Um, we have to deal with erosion, and especially being up on the roof on a windy day like today. Uh, you know, we we really do lose quite a bit of our of our soil media and organic material every time we cut into our planting beds. Um, so we take a lot of. We're, we're constantly learning and trying to to up our game to to keep soil nutrified, keep it on the roof, uh, and keep our plants healthy. Uh, irrigation is another, another interesting issue that we have. We use drip line irrigation, set on pressure reducers off the municipal water supply of the city. <laughs> um, but uh, we try to use as little water as possible from that source. And uh, using the green roof infrastructure that we have and other rainwater catchment techniques, we try, to, we try to keep it as natural as possible. But in a season like we've had so far that's been so damn dry, uh, it can get pretty difficult. Um,
2: Yeah, we're irrigating up here also already, and, and, you know, I mean, I just think about using chlorinated drinking water for plants, and uh, it makes my heart hurt a little bit. I mean, here we're like people who are purists, you know, only want to use surface water and not well water Mm -hmm. for vegetables, because it really the you know, the soil biology impact of different kinds, you know, the water has its own impact, obviously, and and chlorine is obviously killing of life. Sure, sure. um, While I envy your social life, I don't envy your corn in water.
1: You know, it's funny, I I thought that by holding on to my position in the city and and pursuing a career as a farmer that I might be able to maintain a social life, but (laughs) as you well know, a farmer's work is is never done, even on a rooftop in hyper-cool New York City. but you bring up a good point about, about the water source. Uh, it's, you know, things like that and, and the fact that we have kind of an artificial soil environment. are things that we're constantly trying to test and, and make better um, to have a more sustainable system here, whether it's through rainwater catchment or, or other systems. Um, so far we haven't found any real kind of uh, nasty pernicious effects on our crops or our soil health. Due to the due to the municipal water, um, but it's definitely something that we 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 keep our eye on uh, and are working with researchers at local universities and schools and and uh, research institutions to try to put some hard data behind those assumptions.
2: So Do you find yourself constantly being forced into the position of having to represent the idea the the the, the kind of abstract notion that we could feed the cities by farming the roof, I, I worry that if I were in your position, I would have to have that. I'd have to have like a, a laminated FAQ card in my back pocket to hand people and say uh, something to the effect of, um, no, I don't believe we could grow all the food for the cities on the roof or something. But maybe you believe that or, or maybe nobody asked you that ever. No, people
1: do. Um, in fact, a lot of, some critics of, of, of what we're doing and, and other, like here in the city uh, come to us with their guns blazing and, and kind of making those comments. And um, all we have to do is, I mean, all I try to do really is just to say that the point really isn't to provide, you know, every last vegetable or, or leafy green to everyone in the city, but it's it's definitely to kind of help create a model for sustainable, a sustainable for-profit you know business enterprise based on... Urban agriculture that works and that can generate money and generate jobs and revenue. Um, uh, also, you know, looking to the environmental benefits of, of the work that we're doing um, and the educational and social impact that we have. Um, it's kind of a it's a constellation of things. You know, we're we're definitely a farm, and we're our main priority is producing food. Um, but you know, no farm. Can, can produce everyone's food needs. So we need to work together, and we're hoping that by setting an example and constantly testing and constantly networking and spurring innovation in the space that we'll have folks uh, who can come and join and rival us and create, you know, competitive businesses and, and grow the space right now. I mean, the market in New York City is, is unlimited, basically, you know. Um, and I think that there's also a, a big cultural shift that needs to happen, too, uh, as, you know, probably everybody on this listening to this right now is aware, um, so much food, especially in the city, has gone to waste, uh, you know, not only in, as kitchen scraps or, you know, the, the moldy lettuce that you might have in your refrigerator, uh, but in the many, many, many dining establishments we have here, uh, you know, so much, there's just so much refuse uh, that could potentially be either viable food that people could could take from or, you know, uh, used for compost for more intensive growing. Um, so, I guess the, the the short of the long is that we don't we're not making the claim that we're that we're actually going to be feeding everybody in the city, uh, but we hope that this will help explode a an industry and a market that um, that might kind of start heading in that direction. I
2: mean, I'm in. I mean, rooftop composting. That's it.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's clothes,
2: it's, you know, it's definitely so a big focus that we have. Um,
1: you know, we we actually are are working on a on a uh, campaign right now to raise some funds for a forced air composting system uh, that will really kind of basically cover all of our composting needs uh, on the farms that we have, um, and uh, you know contribute to soil fertility and things like that. There's just so much waste in the city. I mean, we get we work with a local organization called the Western Queens Compost Initiative, Uh, and that team actually brings up to the farm, you know, on a weekly basis, hundreds and hundreds and thousands, even pounds of of scraps and kitchen waste and, you know, stuff from from cafes and local restaurants, and uh, we're almost at capacity right now. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely in need of a lot of of big, (laughs) smelly composters (laughs) here in the city.
2: And... um, and have you done some thoughts ever about what kind of research would be most applicable to this, To this, you know, it is basically a research question you have. You know, you're a startup, you're a company, you're a hip scene, you know, you all look very glamorous and it's cool. But then, you know, have you put some thought into what would be the role of an extension or, or research uh, as to profitability, as to energy, you know, energy, calorie, etc.? used to produce the calorie and the kind of embedded energy and using these, you know, big cranes to move the soil up on top of the roof? And, like, like, what are the things that tickle you up at night when you think, I wish that somebody were studying this?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying to look at everything that we possibly can. It's definitely in our plan. No, no, not you. I'm
2: not saying you should do it. I'm saying, what should someone else do?
1: Um, I, I mean, I really think that looking into... How how to create more kind of sustainable, less uh, input required, um, you know, artificial or more soil-based growing mediums on rooftops is definitely top priority uh... you know our our beds that we grow in are eroding by the day and we we do our best to keep <clears throat> to keep uh, organic material and, and health and vitality in the soil but having having a system in place where researchers look to maybe incorporate some more permaculture based uh, principles or other maybe more um, more applicable to rural and, rural agriculture uh, you know sustainable principles here um, with some minor tweaks that make them more appropriate to what we 're doing um, definitely water water uh, research and how we can get clean you know off municipal line irrigation is is something we we desperately are seeking. <laughs> um, you know, there are a whole host of uh, things that we that, that we, we would definitely benefit from research-wise. Um, so far, you yeah, know, I I mean, we're you entering... Our...
2: could be harvesting rainwater off of all the other roofs that are all around you. I could imagine, you know, easily like some kind of you know how right now we have um we have these drains that connect the maple trees to each other. They're like little neoprene tubes, and mm-hmm. it's like the high-tech way to gather maple syrup is to connect all your trees, like make a ley line. And connect all your trees with neoprene tubes into, into the drip tank, like yeah. You know, connect
1: those to all the downspouts yeah. on our local neighboring buildings.
2: Totally. I mean, and make it freaking like get some creative capital money or something or creative time. you like, you yeah, know what? We're going to tap these roofs. That's what the Aboriginals did um, in Australia. They would make these little mud gutters on the big boulders in the middle of the desert, and they would use the rocks to harvest. Water for
1: their little garden. Oh, through condensation.
2: Uh, no, I mean through occasional rainfall, and then they made these little gutters that would collect the rainfall, like of, of a boulder, and then it would yeah. funnel it down.
1: It's it's an interesting idea. I mean, idea. I mean to we have, have uh, it get right, to do.
2: Yeah,
1: it's it's and it's required. I mean, we're we're. We're, we're gonna have to keep upping the game here and, and having other folks join and innovate with us um, you know we're one company and and uh, we're entering our third season and we're just we're just now kind of really hitting the, the our stride on on Producing you know a full season slate of seasonal vegetables and and uh, you know every single square i mean we're an acre we're an acre of space here in Long Island City and we'll have a second location in the Brooklyn Navy yard that's a, almost fifty uh, percent larger in terms of growing space so um, you know we every single square inch matters for us we try to get it planted so unfortunately the the viability of you know doing research and testing whether it's, you know, rainwater catchment or things like that, on our actual farm field, quote-unquote, is not really there right now. But um, looking into what we can do on the ground level or in, you know, the immediate vicinity of our farm buildings is, is definitely something that's a great idea.
2: Sounds like uh, those who are interested in this project and who have skills at writing grants, or say you're unemployed and you don't have any skills that you've been able to market so far, Grow some skills, writing grants, or grow some skills, hustling up some sponsorship, or grow some skills, helping you. How would you need help? What help do you need on your farm? Are you completely overtaxed with applicants?
1: Yes, actually. I mean, being being such a, I guess a conspicuous farmer here in the city. I mean, we, I uh, I took a break to to talk to you today during my kind of summer intern and and apprentice apprenticeship interview. So we receive we receive uh requests from people to join the team and help out in any way they can every every day, dozens of requests. Um, so labor right now is not really our main our main issue. Um, yeah, it's more along the lines of uh you know folks who have come from maybe other industries or have had some some experience in permaculture techniques, or even we welcome folks who have come off of, you know, uh, careers or experience in rural farms and have learned a thing or two about being creative and and, uh, reducing, you know, off-farm inputs. Um, You know, we welcome their input and and their expertise Uh, and grant writing and things like that, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, You know, we have a little trouble with that because we're a for-profit enterprise, but uh, we can partner with other organizations locally or nationally or uh, with just, you know, young, creative, inspired folks out there. We welcome all comers.
2: Well, that's so good. And I just want to make sure that you're telling all of your applicants that there's a really cool project up in the Bronx. Um, now, what are they called? His name is Andrew. He's super wonderful. They're growing food access gardens in the Bronx. It's called... Ag here, be here, eat here, you know what I'm talking about?
1: Um, I'm, I'm familiar with him, but I don't know the name of the project, unfortunately. Um,
2: well, there, I uh, there was just...
1: There, I, there,
2: go ahead. Well, only that... I know he was looking for um, an experienced grower or two, even, for his team. Huh. And um, I, you know, I'm now at the point where I get every day a couple of people um, who last minute had a friend drop out or fall in love or move to California or whatever and who <laughs> needed to get their, their labor situation locked down. So Green Ring has a very strong job section and I hope that you will refer those the people who you turned down to consider rural jobs also.
1: Absolutely, and, and, yeah. I mean, we're we're in full support of, of, of rural farms, and uh, like I say, we don't we don't hope to take over for them here in the city. They definitely have an important role to play, and there are things that we can't do out here um, ever with regard because of laws and bureaucracy. I mean, we can't have dairy here. <laughs> we can't have you know meat operations. So um, and well, we can't grow. Hey, Michael, yeah. I'd like to be clear. I'm two hours north
2: of you. I'm only two hours north. So there's people. 17 hours north. We might have other things to say, but we're not jealous. <laughs> we're just kind of intrigued. But the but the but the point I think is is a good one is that a lot of people are interested in trying something out on a small scale in the city. And and if you look at the career trajectory of a lot of young farmers, um, you know they start people start small and people start with a relationship with a few plants or maybe a tomato on their balcony or a little garden or a community plot and then um that may change' a uh, a wolf' experience that may then turn into an apprenticeship or a management experience, and that um uh, you know big farms start start with small ideas and with uh, with small initiatives so i mean yeah that's, you know, that's my that's as my a,
1: experience. That 's definitely my experience um, and and we we really like to think of our farm as a as a young farmer incubator in a way, and uh, hope that you know people in the city young folks in the city who are considering a career in agriculture um, don 't necessarily have to completely uproot their entire life or if they would otherwise be you know um, less prone to actually pursue a career that they can come work with us or other urban farms here in the city and and cut their teeth and learn some chops to see if it's right for them. You know, we really think that that's an important part of what we do here.
2: Well, awesome. I can't wait to learn more and see more. And and when you start doing uh, rooftop orchards to to feed your bees, um, I can't wait to come to the first cider pressing. Um, Awesome. You'll be on the list. uh, Any resources that you've got? But you usually get out of FAQs or, like, to point people who are interested to, you know, get into the theory and, uh, and kind of philosophical implications of urban ag. Just maybe favorite books or thoughts?
1: Um, books and resources?
2: Books, organizations, people who give lectures, you know, your mentors, your, like, thought community?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, uh... Definitely a National Young Farmers Coalition, but you guys all know that. Uh, uh, City Farmer is a really good online resource. Um, there are a couple different uh, web blogs and things that are compiling news stories. Um, uh, as far as books go, um, Columbia Earth Institute released a couple, I believe in 2010, a paper on the feasibility uh, of, of urban agriculture that has a lot of really, really interesting data points, and, and while it's not necessarily a manual or like a how-to guide, um, it's something that I think is worth looking at for anybody who's curious. Um, there's kind of a dearth, actually, right now in terms of uh, really, really intensive handbooks and manuals about either rooftop urban agriculture or other kind of more intensive uh, agriculture methods um, maybe that aren't greenhouse or, or
0: greenhouse-based.
1: Um, so hopefully, with what we're learning every day here and what our colleagues in the state are learning, we'll be able to, to fill that hole uh, in the coming years.
2: Let's keep filling the hole. Identify the hole and then fill the hole. A couple more to add is the toolbox for urban living, uh, or for urban sustainable living by Scott Kellogg. He talks also about bioremediation. Um and then oh I have another one but I lost it. I lost it. Gone. Well anyway, I'll remember it and we'll oh yeah, City book, which is about urban greenhouse cultivation that's produced um, by Vinny who is on the radio also, and he's out of Baltimore, and is just a sweetie high and has open-sourced all of his research, and it's just great, but I agree. This is a field that's emergent, and, and watch this space, everyone. Michael, yeah. thank you.
1: Thank you so much. It's been an honor, sir.
2: It's an honor. It's an honor. It's a mutual honor. This is Greenhorn Radio. We are here on Main Street in Hudson, New York with our headquarters this coming weekend. Well, this weekend, Greenhorns is in Michigan at the East Lansing uh, Art Museum called the Broad Center, doing a collaboration with Sir Haig and Amy Franciscini. It's called Land Use, a celebration of the legacy of the land-grant university system at Michigan State University um, and the new Broad Contemporary Art Museum. It's a community workshop space in the Vins and Barnes and Noble. Um, If you're in Michigan, come on down. Then the weekend after is FarmHack Essex. Sorry, oh, I apologize. FarmHack Essex Intervale. So it's at Essex Farm and at the Intervale Center in Burlington, Vermont. So on both sides of the lake, but there's plenty of times on the ferry, and we've got a beautiful tag of Citizen Cider, a new startup cider company, donated. Range Hall dinner, sleep in a barn, and you get to meet the horses at Essex Farm. So that has only a few spots left. Go to farmhack.net, click on the schedule, and click on the RSVC link. There are carpools, many of them coming out of Boston, um, and probably a few out of New York as well. It is train accessible. So that's that for upcoming. If you're not on the Hudson Valley Unfarmer Farmer sir, you can join it on the website of the National Farmers Coalition. I hope that you are having a good day, too. Signing off. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: First ranch Grass-Fed Beef. Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range,
1: sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network.